Hello and welcome to the Access of Space Defense and Security podcast. I'm Omkar Nikam, your host for this episode. In this podcast, we explore the latest developments and trends in the fields of space exploration, defense technology, and national security. Each episode features insightful interviews with experts and industry leaders who share their perspectives on a wide range of topics, including the latest advances in satellite technology, space exploration missions, military defense strategies, cybersecurity, and more. Whether you are a space enthusiast, a military professional, or someone interested in the latest innovation in technology and security, this podcast has something for you. Join us as we delve into the cutting-edge research breakthroughs that are shaping the future of space defense and security. Stay tuned. Episode 60 is a continuation of episode 59. So before proceeding with this episode I kindly request you to first listen to episode 59 so that you can very well connect with the conversation in episode 60 thank you very much and enjoy this episode yeah i believe i think we have very much covered the mali region up till the conversation now and i would like to you know take a little bit step ahead and you know come to the current conflict that is going on in gaza as well so has the violent extremist organization or as we say veos in the sahel region used the narrative of gaza to increase recruitment in general um so since the war in gaza veos have been sort of uh, using the narrative of gaza to 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 increase the presence and increase recruitment and motivate jihadis and militants um and this is something that we also have seen in veos in africa so for example if you look at the communications of shabab uh, they've been using the narrative of gaza quite frequently in the sahara regions different dynamics play play out therefore the narrative of gaza has not been seen or i haven't seen uh gaza being used in in um in the group's communications um but however the veos in the region have been uh explicit about uh, their targets they've been communicating more what's been happening on the ground so jnm now uh has sort of become like um a news agency uh, where they report on uh Wagner's uh, uh attacks on civilians and 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 famous hu- uh, 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 human rights violations against the people so we are we are seeing um a change in the in the communication strategy and and the tactics as well uh but the gaza narrative has not been um embedded yet in 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 that uh in that conversation or in that strategy um but uh, this is this is not to say that the people on the ground the social media users and the local people um have been actually uh, uh using gaza as a metaphor and uh talking about the similarities between uh the actions of Wagner and Fama and the uh, uh action of the uh, Israeli uh, uh army yes i mean uh i have also seen that you know the narrative strategy in general is very important uh when we are looking at the world affairs and mm. i think that that has been one of the key points in both uh, russia ukraine war as well and in the gaza as well uh, mm-hmm. that uh, things 
things have been you know somewhere biased i mean somewhere someone has blocked like for example uh uh some of the regions in europe as well and in india over here in the asian region in general uh, the russian channels are blocked so you are consuming only you know one side of the narrative from the west in some mm. regions the western narrative is banned <laughs> and you're just consuming the russian narrative so i think that yeah, yeah. a balance of act is very important uh, because otherwise you know there is always a biased opinion that will keep on coming out uh, there won't be any kind of you know by a uh, neutral ground uh, for the narratives and i think mm. it eventually affects the decision making because people are the one who influence the government uh, policies and the decision making at the end of the day Absolutely. so yeah uh, so yeah on on the same lines actually i would like to uh, proceed with that question that in what ways has social media played a role in shaping the narrative around the conflict in gaza and how does it impact uh, the public perception so actually i'm not like the expert on gaza so it's difficult for me to talk about uh, how yes. it's been shaped but what i can tell you is that the people in the sahel region and in, in niger mali burkina faso uh, from yeah. specific ethnicities have been actually using gaza as a metaphor to talk about uh, uh um what's happening in their countries so um Yes, indeed, like Gaza has been used as a, a, a metaphor, uh, although we have to bear in mind that also those people are witnessing uh, a, a major uh, and large scale human rights violation, which they also uh, use uh, to remind people of what they're going through. So I've seen uh, people talking about uh uh mora massacre for example from two years ago they keep talking about it they keep saying that this is this this is like an ethnic cleansing that is being conducting against uh specific ethnicities uh inside the um Sahar region so they have their own uh metaphors as well um to put it in a simple way yes yeah uh, and i think uh, going a little bit step further i think we had discussed the topic uh, uh, in a previous podcast uh, in a little bit extensive manner but yeah I would just like to you know kind of get a little yeah. bit update how about how things have evolved on that side so what yeah. were the circumstances surrounding the French exit from Niger and how has the Niger situation evolved since then because uh, I, I reside in Strasbourg France and mm-hmm. uh, from what I have seen that things are going on in the French politics that you know uh, it's it's not going so well uh, uh with what you know yeah since their relation with niger has hampered so yeah uh, can you let us know the situation update on that side no of course so actually like uh, it all it all started with the uh, coup last summer uh, in yes. niger so um general uh, abdurrahman tiani and general modi removed uh, mohammed bazoum president mohammed bazoum last summer um and both generals are very actually anti-french uh, and almost one of the first achievement of this new uh, coup leaders was to ask the french to leave the country which they did um so the last french soldier actually left Niger in December 2023 um so but France has been like losing its foothold in Africa for quite some time and it all started with the coups 
uh, in, uh, in, in, in the region, specifically with the coup in, in, in Mali in 2020. Um, so, as you said, we've discussed this extensively in the last uh, podcast, but um, I think that France could not, were not able to adapt its strategy to the um, ever-changing dynamics in the region. And therefore, they are now in a position where they don't have a foothold in Africa and they had to withdraw forces. After spending so much money on, 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 on conducting uh, counter-terrorism operations, uh, and now we are seeing these coup leaders requesting the help of uh, Russia, specifically the help of, of Wagner Group or um, or the rebranded group uh, African uh, Core. Um, so you could say that France lost uh, uh, this round of 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 of, of battle and. Uh, um, lost its influence in the Sahel region. Um, how the Niger situation uh, changed since then, I can tell you um, that it there's been a spike. I, I mean, it's difficult to say without really looking at data, but I think there's been a spike of activity specifically from JNM and, and ISGS in the region. Um, so the French were conducting CT operations in Niger with the help of uh, uh, Niger Nigerian forces, which has now been uh, hold, uh, stopped. So, um, so CT operations have been reduced and uh, 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 jihadi activities have increased. Um, but politically, politically speaking, the situation is sort of. Uh, on the stable side, I would say, uh, and the ECOWAS uh, have lifted uh, most of its sanctions on the country, um, which makes Niger, uh, which puts the Niger in Niger in a better position now that we, they don't have sanctions from West African countries. So this is in general what's happened yes. in Niger. Okay. And uh, just, uh, I would say, a little bit going ahead on the same topic itself. So considering the exit of French forces from Niger, what are the potential ramifications for the security and stability of the region? Uh, and how are local authorities especially responding to these challenges? So we're already seeing those uh, ramifications. We can see that there's... Uh, there's uh, I can say a spike of activity uh, of jihadi groups in in uh, in Niger. Um, how the local authorities are responding? I think they are responding with the same way they used to uh, respond to these threats when uh, the French forces were there. So they they are continuing with their city operations, with conducting airstrikes, uh, with involving uh, the military in in. Um, in securing uh, key uh, routes and uh, providing uh, some level of uh, security to 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 remote uh, areas obviously it's very difficult uh, to uh, conduct this um, effectively without su the support uh, from uh, foreign forces without the uh, money coming from outside um, and for uh, almost um, 
six months uh, Niger was operating in isolation because of the uh, because of the sanctions. The key uh, development that happened and is helping the Sahel region region in general and Niger uh, in specific is the creation of the uh, alliance of the Sahel states. So the alliance that was created by Burkina Faso, Mali, and Niger that I talked about um, uh, uh, at the beginning of this podcast. So that alliance is helping, will or will help uh, these countries conduct joint CT operation, operations to uh, secure border areas, specifically the tri-border area, but also uh, with, will help any country facing rebellion so in the case where in the case where there's let's say there is a uh, rebellion in Niger uh, uh, in cases like that Burkina Faso and Mali have the right to um deploy forces and uh, uh help Niger uh, uh against that rebellion so that regional dynamic that was created is actually changing the face of the region okay that's uh that's that's a quite a lot of uh developments i would say on uh, this <laughs> <Sorry>. side yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> no i think uh, uh we can definitely no, feel free, I, I was like, thinking feel free to remove yes. some of the stuff yeah no 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 no. Uh, we can definitely keep it of course <laughs> because i think the audience needs to have this the reason we are able to have this episode of the podcast is because uh the people were demanding this thing because I think we discussed briefly about the French forces, right? In the last yeah. Uh, episode. Yeah. That's so I think we can definitely uh, organize in the future, maybe after six months or so, when the developments are more, uh, a dedicated possible an episode on this, because I think there are a lot of security key takeaways for both state actors, as well as the NGOs and, you know, the economic think tanks as well, uh, from yeah. what has happened between the French forces and in Niger, basically. Mm, so yeah of course you can definitely definitely plan in the future for sure <laughs> mm -hmm. so yeah would love to yeah yeah so yeah coming back uh, to the point so how has the international community responded to the war crimes and conflicts in west africa and what efforts are being made to address these issues from your perspective um it's also difficult to talk about the reaction from international community because international communities could mean so like so many things but um we can i mean to 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 answer in in simple words i haven't seen any major reaction to these uh, uh, war crimes um there hasn't been so much focus from uh, governments or western governments on uh, the conflict in the sahel um but also the response to the humanitarian uh, crisis was uh, uh, not up to the expectations. Uh, so we have uh, literally people in in, uh, in 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 IDP camps for years and years, and uh, uh, and they are not don't ha they don't have access to education, for example, and in 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 so many cases they don't have access to water and hygiene, etc. So. Um, I could say that the reaction was not up to the expectations, but you can also say yes. that 
when it comes to every conflict in the world, because no matter how much you do, there's always more to do. Um, but uh, yeah, this is what I think. Yes. Yeah. I think yeah, international community in general, uh, as I said, you know, narrative strategies, I think very important. Uh, and I think, uh, I mean, I would also like to tell to our audience, this is one of the things that we have been advocating basically uh, both in the European region and in India as well, that mm. journalism as a subject needs to be seriously be taken, especially by the younger audience. Of uh, course. Because, uh, I mean, mobile handsets, internet is right in the hands of the kids. Uh, absolutely who are who are even below 50 at the age of 15 below below 15 maybe and i think mm. if you don't know to differentiate between the disinformation the reality the bias narratives and uh propaganda i think it becomes very complex i mean it becomes very easy for such an individual to get manipulated at the end of the day so absolutely. i believe it's uh, it's very important i think we introduce journalism as at least a minor mm. subject uh maybe uh, since the high school uh, before actually the graduation days and all uh, because uh, it, it has become the need of the hour to include that subject i, I mean it 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 also sets a kind of uh, i would say an ambience to how the future generations will evolve because uh, a lot of people i see these days uh, especially i would say you know i i, I stay i reside in strasbourg and there, there is a bunch of, you know, audience uh, which has been yeah. uh, going with the Ukraine narrative. Uh, there is no issue going with that, you know, but half of them don't even know basically what is happening in the region. It's just because the whole crowd is going, people are going there. Yeah. So I think it is very important that, yeah, I mean, it creates a, you know, kind of a fluctuation. I mean, uh, this is exactly the reason why people need to have their own opinion, but in a much more, you know, constructive manner, basically. Not mm. just because the whole crowd is going over there. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, absolutely. yeah. Coming back uh, to the topic, actually, uh, I think we are coming mm. at the end of the podcast now. So, in what ways are neighboring countries affected by the conflicts in the Sahel region, and what measures are being taken to address cross-border issues? Um. So, um. Obviously, there is an over overspill to neighboring countries. Um, so JNM is uh, expanding its operation and conducting attacks in, in Togo and Benin, for example. Um, also, we, we're seeing movements of, of uh, refugees leaving Mali, Niger, and Burkina Faso to neighboring countries and um, exhausting these, uh, obviously, uh, like uh, not intentionally, but exhausting these countries. So we have, for example, one of the largest refugee camps in in uh, uh, is located in Mauritania. Um, so, yeah, I think these are the two major uh, dynamics uh, that are resulting from the uh, conflict in the uh, Sahar region. Um, in terms of how they are um, uh, addressing cross-border issues, uh, also like the response of neighboring countries is still uh, um, is insufficient so far and and JNM is still uh, able to conduct incursions into into uh, 
into these countries, into neighboring countries. Uh, but also, um, I haven't seen like major response from hosting uh, countries to these refugees. Um, but we have to bear in mind that these countries, West African countries, are exhausted with so many uh, national dynamics. Uh, uh, exhausting you know the economies of of these countries um but uh, yeah that's in general how neighboring countries are being affected by the conflict in the Sahel region yeah i think uh yeah i mean we have pretty much covered uh, most of the sahel region uh, mm -hmm. in this episode and yeah uh, I think in the next episodes, possibly we'll take a little more deeper dive uh, into the, I think the dynamic and the cultural point of view as well of how, from the humanitarian perspective, because I think we have discussed more from the security perspective in these episodes at the moment. Uh, so yeah, I think we are reaching at it's, the yeah. end of the podcast now. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, Aman, uh, firstly, like, thank you very much again for coming on the podcast. And I, this last question, basically, is uh, for the researchers, students, and experts, because apart from the industry people and the government uh, organizations, there's a whole bunch of researchers and students who follow this podcast. And, mm -hmm. you know, most of them are actually either a, a defense or security researchers. And sometimes, you know, they really want to uh, change their way of topic persuasion, which they are pursuing. For example, someone is focused on Latin American region. They would like to pursue. Yeah possibly uh, the African region for the case studies. So those are the kind of people also, you know, who listen to this podcast. So uh, this uh, last question is especially for them uh, and not related to our episode. Mm -hmm. So you as an expert in this field, uh, what message would you like to give to researchers, students and experts uh, who are working in the security domain, especially? Uh, and what is the general career advice you would like to give to them? Um, that's a very difficult question. I don't know if I'm in a place to like give advice, but uh, yeah, obviously the ge <laughs> yeah yes, I yes. mean, obviously, like the general advice for anyone who wants to um cover or work on the Sahara region is to yeah. uh build a good network of of uh, local sources, uh, but also um uh be aware of what's uh, uh, of uh, disinformation campaigns of fake news of misinformation uh there's a lot of uh, fake news out there about the sahel and 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 um inaccurate information so verify the inver verify your information very well um and also um monitor uh, conversation from everyone uh, on social media, whether it was uh, 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 users from uh, supporting, uh, users supporting the, the coup leaders or military uh, leaders or users supporter, supporting um, other actors. So um, be interested in what everyone is talking about and what everyone is saying um and untangle uh, uh um uh, all all the you know the complex uh, information um but yeah that's it i guess yes thank you very much aman it was uh, great to have you again on the podcast and Anytime. we really hope to record a few more episodes again because i'm pretty sure a lot of people are going to ask me uh, questions especially about the french and niger thing and I think as the situation develops, uh, we can definitely down the line in the next few months, we'll uh, have one more episode as well. 
with you. Yeah. Would so yeah, thank you very course. much again. Yes. Anytime. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you find our podcast insightful, then please like, share and subscribe. See you in the next episode. Thank you.